Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston. I'm your host today and I'm joined by my colleagues Tyrone Marshall and Dominic Booth. We're recording just one day after Eric Ten Hag's first press conference at Old Trafford. Tyrone, how are you today? Uh, very good. Thank you, Stephen. Very good. And Dominic? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm just squeezing in this uh, podcast appearance between my two holidays to the south of France and the Lake District. So you're lucky to get me, really. He's not got a tan, believe it. Yeah, he's not got a tan, believe it or not, though. So we're not we're not too jealous of Mowatai. Um, we'll just get straight into it, lads. Um, Tyrone was at the press conference yesterday at Old Trafford, and I just wanted to get your first impressions, really, Ty, because he was quite charismatic when he came in. It's all open, but I'll let you tell the listeners what happened because you, of course, you were there. Yeah, I mean, he was. I think we the the regulars who cover the Manchester Beat all the time have been told to sit in the front rows, which always happens anyway. But yeah, Ten Hag came in and immediately shook hands with, with everyone in the front row and introduced himself with a, a very stilted, hi, I'm Eric. That was a terrible impression, <laughs> by the way. Um, and introduced himself to everyone and, and shook hands. Um, his English was 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 well worth listening to, to be honest. You can tell he's he's been learning it and he's only just, just learnt. And he's certainly a, a man who's not going to waste many words. But yeah, he was very charismatic when he came in, shook everyone's hand or everyone in the front, a couple of rows waved to everyone, certainly made a positive impression. And I think that was the case throughout the club as well. He made, met a lot of staff yesterday and made a point of introducing himself to everyone. I think once once the talking had started, I wouldn't say he was overly charismatic. We've been warned to expect that, though. We, we were told by people in Amsterdam, people close to Ajax, that his strength lies in, in tactics, in detail, in training. He's not um, a man-manager in the mould of like a Guardiola or a Klopp. And you could certainly tell he was a man of few words. His answers, some of his answers were very short indeed. And I think it, there's going to be some interesting press conferences this season, shall we say. Um, I think United are actually encouraged by that. Ranić was a man of many words and would would basically just keep, even when he answered a question, he'd just keep answering it and keep talking, would eventually, -talk, eventually talk himself into trouble. And I don't think United were particularly impressed by some of his press conferences and some of his honesty, which just seemed to, to blurt out of him at times. So I think having a manager who is economical with his words and is is only going to, you know, answer the question. If the question requires five words, then that's what he's going to give. I think behind the scenes, United are, are pretty happy with that. But yeah, it was, it was a positive start. He spoke a lot of common sense. He was very grounded. He said the right things without getting carried away. You know, you didn't leave there thinking, God, for this guy, they're going to win the league next year. But they were never going to leave that anyway. They only created a false impression. You know, and he, and he was very honest, like I say, and very um, very to the point. And, and yeah, made made a good first impression, I would say. He was straight talking, wasn't he? I guess that's the kind of conclusion I took from the press conference covering it at home. And as you've just said, he's kind of made my life a bit easier because he talks in one sentences. And that's certainly easier to transcribe than Ranjik's long, long uh, sentences. So, Dom, I just wanted to get your first impressions as well, really, um, and kind of ask you, what did you make of him answering questions so so straightforward and so kind of bluntly almost? But I did a, I did respect his honesty. Yeah, I, I don't know what you can say, really, in that situation. You know, you can you can be as, as eloquent as you like and, and articulate and make loads of bold propositions, but it's not really the time to do so given, you know, the situation at United and I think Ten Hag's fully understanding of that. You know, from a journalist's point of view, like Ty said, Rangnick was was gold, really, and some of the stuff he said was very, very refreshing. I think it resonated a lot with United fans as well, with how he sort of shone a light on the club's failings. You know, remember that time that he 
he said that he wanted to sign a striker in January and that he, he suggested a few names even in the press conference that he, he wanted the club to look at and and that made for for cracking uh, for cracking copy for the journalists and and good reading for the fans but Ten Hag won't be like that you know it, it, Randy Cummins had a free run at, at things because he he had an interim period and he knew that it was finite whereas Ten Hag is is going to be looking to build something long term so he'd probably be a little bit more cagey and and calculated with his words, which is completely fair enough. But I think all United fans and and us covering the club are just waiting to see what happens in the summer, really. And I think that that's the sort of they're the first lessons that we will learn from the, the Ten Hag era and how it's going to pan out in in how the club um, deal this summer in the transfer market and whether he gets the players that he wants. That's that's going to be the crucial thing more than more than words at this stage for me. One of the best moments from the press conference time, in my opinion, was the Ronaldo moment um, when he was asked, well, what will Ronaldo bring? And it was just one answer, wasn't it? Goals and very, very to the point. Um, how important was that answer? Because he was always going to get asked about Ronaldo in his future, wasn't he, at the press conference? Yeah, he was. And I mean, he's already talked up about working with Ronaldo and what a giant he is. And, you know, United are in a position where they have to rely on Ronaldo because there simply isn't the budget to replace him next season properly. Um, so he was always going to have to talk him up. Like say, he, he was... Very to the point with that question. I think there was three questions in it on that Ronaldo section and he must have used 10 words maybe at most. You know, is Ronaldo part of your plans? Of course. What's he going to bring? Goals. Can he add leadership? I'm going to talk to Ronaldo before I talk to you. And that, that was it. Move on, basically. Um, to it, you know, it, it was refreshing to hear. I think it's always a case that, you know, you'd have to rely on Ronaldo. I still think there's, this. you know, this is maybe something to get into in, in pre-season, really, but I still think there's interest in how he shapes his team around Ronaldo. No coach at this level comes into a team these days without wanting to play a pressing game. You know, it's the modern way. You're not going to get a manager who wants to manage United, who is a relatively modern breed of manager who doesn't want to press. But Ranić said on Friday, he, you know, Ranić abandoned pressing after two games. He'd realised this team couldn't do it. And while part of that is fitness-wise, and that can be improved in the summer, and you can certainly lay the foundations for it, he also said part of it was that Ronaldo has never been a player who who wants to press and, and who does press. And when he's your striker, pressing has to start from the front, it's not going to work. So I think there's, there's certainly interest to see how Ten Hag tactically kind of works around that and whether he looks to change Ronaldo. I mean, at, at 37 and a half, come start of the season. I'm not sure he's going to be one for changing particularly. So I think there's tactical interest come the start of the season in, in how that works. But yeah, I mean, Ronaldo, if, if Ronaldo wants to stay, which it certainly looks like he he does, there's been no talk otherwise of, of anything. Um, then, you know, I think it's inevitable that he has to be a big part of this team next year, purely because of the goals he provides and the amount of work that's required. And, and yeah, it was, that was one of, one of the there was a few short answers, but I thought there was two that made a real impact, which was that and his response to the value of of Ranić's consultancy role when he just went, "That's on the club." Um, those were the two kind of short answers that really made an impact. And yeah, the Ronaldo one was was straight and to the point for sure. Ronaldo's thirty eight next season, type. Will he accept the reduced rule? Rule, sorry, under uh, under Ten Hag because he wants to play every game despite being in the autumn of his career or the winter of his career, doesn't mm. he? He does, yeah. Um, I mean, it depends how you tell him, I guess, and how you manage him. I mean, it's, it should be easier for him to accept the reduced role next year because United aren't in the Champions League. And I can't imagine he's going to be too fussed playing Europa League group games in whichever 
forgotten part of Europe, United end up in. Um, so there should be more opportunity to rest him. Obviously, a forward is a big part of the wish list this summer. But then so is a midfielder, so is a defender, so is a right back, possibly so is a winger. You know, it's impossible for United to spend £50 million plus on, on all five of those positions. So there's going to be compromises somewhere. But there's obviously going to be a forward who comes in, whether that's someone who is clearly inferior to Ronaldo when he's here for the future, or whether it's someone that's a squad player. It, it, it's kind of up in the air, I guess, at the moment. But if they got, you know, if they got someone like Darwin Nunes, for example, who's obviously a player they like, albeit it's hard to see how 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 they afford 60, 70 million pound players, then he is obviously going to want to start some games at centre forward. He can play off the left, as Ronaldo can. But a player like that is going to want to start some games at centre forward. So it would have to be a degree of rotation. But I think if you if you sold it to Ronaldo the right way, you know, I think he's aware that being rested could could prolong his career and, and get more out of him. And it, that's that's the way to sell it, really. If he wants to play into his 40s, he needs to accept that he can't play every game. It was Ronaldo's return last summer, Don, that made all the headlines. But there's another return at United this summer, Steve McLaren. And that's going to make headlines, isn't it? Just as, it? Just as big as Ronaldo, I would say, <laughs> uh, Steve McLaren. Yeah, so what did you make of that? Because obviously United uh, confirmed yesterday, we obviously saw them in the stands at Sellers Park, um, that Steve McLaren and Van der Gerg, or Van der Gerg, however you like to pronounce it, I'm not up to date on my Dutch, um, from Ajax has came into Ten Hag's backroom staff. So what have you made of that announcement, really? Because uh, Ten Hag was obviously asked about that at his press conference yesterday as well. Yeah, and I think that... It makes a lot of sense. He's bringing two people who he's worked with in the past. It's not. It's not a sort of nostalgic jobs for the boys. Bringing bringing someone back from United's past just for the sake of it with McLaren. I know he obviously has that that link to the club and works under Ferguson, but it's it's a genuine Ten Hag addition. It's someone that he wants in his backroom staff. He clearly thinks that the McLaren has something to offer to to sort of fill him in on on some of the club's values and and the feeling maybe of the fan base and the weight of history and all that sort of stuff. So I, I think it's quite shrewd, actually. Uh, and Van der Gaag, we, we don't know a huge amount about, but we know that he's worked very closely with Ten Hag at, um, at Ajax. So, you know, that 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 bodes well, really, for, for what's to come. And what will be interesting is how, how United change tactically, because I don't think they've had a huge number of sort of real te te technical, tactical coaches in the backroom oh. staff, this yeah, I really didn't get around that one. Um, Solskjaer certainly didn't fill his his staff with with those sort of coaches. You know, Kieran McKenna did the bulk of it. Mike Phelan wasn't that type of coach. Michael Carrick, he was a bit of a link with the past and, and a bit of a club legend. Um, and Rangnick's, as as Ty said, Rangnick's tactical work really um, was sort of abandoned very early on because he he realised United didn't have the capabilities in their squad to to do what he what he's sort of famed for and what he asked of them. Um, so I, I like those two appointments. It'd be interesting to see if there are any more, if, if Ten Hag gets any more of his staff in, in physio positions or, or, or psychologist positions or, or even in the recruitment team, that'd be interesting. Um, but yeah, McLaren, I think is actually more of a popular appointment with the fans than I thought he might be. I thought that there's a lot of sort of opinion out there on social media that goes against United appointing people who've got connections to to the past because they think it's it's that old jobs for the boys thing but yeah it seems to be gen general positive swell around McLaren's return just under 24 hours before Ten Hag's first press conference Ty we watched 
Manchester City and Liverpool battle it out uh, for the Premier League title as United got beat off Palace. It's quite a quite a world apart, that, isn't it? Um, Ten Hag was obviously asked about Klopp and Guardiola. He was asked if United could close the gap. What did you think of his answer there? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought that was the, you know, obviously we did we did plenty of, um, of lines in the press conference, but I think for all the nationals that were there and that was the line really, basically, that, you know, that was the best thing that, that probably came out of it, that eras can change. And basically he was saying that United, uh, that City and Liverpool can be toppled under Guardiola and Klopp because there is this idea that until they leave, no team's going to get a look in. And it's, you know, certainly next season, you look at where they finished this season, both got over 90 points again. Um, you know, I think Chelsea were 18 points, something like that, short of them. Um, I mean, United were 35 points behind City. City and Liverpool, next season, certainly, probably the season after that, they're not going to drop off from 90 points. You just can't see it. I think they'll both get over 90 again next season. So the challenge for anyone that wants to win the league is to get to 90. United clearly aren't going to get another 35 points next season. I mean, to put that into context, that, that is winning an extra 12 games in a 38-game season. They won 16, 16 this year. They'd have to win 28 to get that. To, to get to that position. They lost 12 this year. It's basically turning all of those 12 defeats into 12 wins to get to a point where they're matching City, who I think got 93 points. So, you know, that that's a long way off, but it's it's going to be a process. There's always the chance, I guess, those teams could drop off into the mid-80s, but it just doesn't it doesn't feel realistic. Liverpool lost twice and didn't win the league. Um, you know, the standards they are setting are astronomical. City are bringing in a striker next year. I I don't think that'll I don't think that'll be an instant hit. I think there's you know I don't think that'll be quite an immediate success as people have made out. Let's put it that way. I don't think Harlan's going to stroll in and score forty goals. I think there's obvious questions as to how he's going to fit in that team and how it's going to change they play. But eventually they'll get it right because it's Manchester City, it's Pep Guardiola. You know, eventually they will work it out. They'll probably have it worked out by Christmas. Liverpool. Just they don't look like dropping off at the moment. They've got phenomenal players. They don't spend to the same degree at City, but they've got a unity and a sense of purpose there that United have been lacking. And you just you can't see either dropping. So the challenge, the challenge isn't that they're going to drop ten points and someone else will improve. The challenge is that Chelsea, Tottenham, United, if one of them win them win the league, they've got to find a way to get to low nineties points and and that's a hell of a challenge. But you know, Ten Hag certainly answered it in the right way and, and showed the positivity because we've seen that Klopp signed a new contract for another four years. I think there's a decent chance Pep will stay as well. So if you're basically saying there's no chance to win the league in the next four years, then then what's the point? United have to be aiming to get to a position where in two years, three years' time, they're confident of getting 90 to 95 points in this league. Um, Don, Ty was just talking about kind of United's top four rivals there, obviously Tottenham, Arsenal and whatnot. And I've just wrote the line, obviously, before we came on about Ten Hag outlining Champions League as, the, as his target for next season. Is that the bare minimum? How would you judge success for next season? Yeah, I sent a tweet when, when Ten Hag was first announced that United shouldn't worry about where he finishes in the first season. And I'm, I'm inclined to, to stick with that, to be honest, because it's not, it's not worked for United in the last few years, going for the top four and then using that as a springboard and then thinking that they can challenge for the league the year after. You know, it it, it worked for, for Solskjaer a little bit. He, he got the top four after his first sort of caretaker spell, which is very up and then very down. He got the top four and then 
a few statement signings arrived and everyone said, right, time to challenge for the title. But they didn't, I don't know how many people truly believed that that United, United team could be better than this City team. Um, and that isn't going to change quickly. Uh, Ten Hag might say that the eras can can end at Liverpool and City and they probably will one day, but I don't think that's going to be in the next year or two. So finishing the top four, I mean, does does that excite people? I suppose it, it will it'll excite some who want to see the Champions League back. Ronaldo will probably go anyway after next year, so it probably won't it won't interest him. I think the club needs a proper reset and a proper rebuild, and I don't think that's all going to happen in one summer with 10 to 12 players maybe leaving. Certainly 10 to 12 players aren't going to arrive. That's absolutely certain. So I wouldn't put too much... I don't think I would put too much of a target set in stone on this first season for Ten Hag. I think it'd probably be about what kind of football is played, be about developing the players already at the club, and it'll be about getting a few in the door and then getting a few in the door again in January and then again in summer 2023. I think that's probably like the, the battle plan for, for success. And then maybe in your second season, you go, right, you've got to finish in the top four in your second season because that that sort of charts a bit of progress. First season, a lot of people probably disagree with me, but I, I don't think it should matter too much where United finish. Obviously, top top eight would be a, would be a minimum, but United never finished below seven anyway. So, yeah, that's that's for me. A bit of short-term pain for some long-term gain there for Dominic. Um, Absolutely. That's his, that's his opinion. Um, Ty, when you and Samuel were speaking, I made sure to get your questions down in a hurry. Um, and I noticed you asked about Harry Maguire and the captaincy. We've obviously discussed that at length on the podcast. Um, obviously, you asked Ten Hag, is Maguire you're going to be your captain next season? So, judging by his response, he didn't give much away, did he? But what do you think he's going to do? Um, he didn't give much away, but it—I mean, it, it, he certainly didn't um, offer Maguire any guarantees. I think his, his first words to it were, "Next season is a new season," which, which leaves it very open. Um, he did go on to praise Maguire a lot and say what a good job he's done, and I was looking forward to working with him. But I thought it left the door open for a, for a change in captaincy. He didn't, you know, he didn't nail his colours to the mast and, and say, "There's no point changing captain, or he's going to be my captain." So that's certainly a possibility. Um, no, I said before on this podcast that I think in England we put more store in the captaincy than they do in in Europe. It means more to us um, for some reason than it does in Europe, both as, as club teams and internationally. Often it's just tossed to the you know most experienced player um, on the continent. I've said before I would make a change in captain and probably go with Ronaldo, um, as I think he's really the only candidate. I mean, I think Fernandez is a terrible captain just because of his. You know his his attitude and approach. I just don't. I don't think it's conducive to good leadership. Maybe when United are winning, it might be, but this season it's not been. He's incredibly critical of teammates, yet makes mistakes as abysmal as the one he made on on Sunday. Um, so I just don't think that works. I think Maguire needs to focus on his own game for a season and make sure of his place in the team before thinking of being captain. So Ronaldo for a year, I, I think, would work. He's captained. You know. I, I think I said on the podcast last week, I was staggered to see that he captained Portugal more than 120 times. So he knows what he's doing. So that's what I'd do. I can see, like he didn't give much away, but he certainly, Tenag certainly left it open to change captain yesterday. I thought the interesting bit of that was the way he, he praised Maguire. And I thought he, you know, every opportunity he had really, he talked up this squad. Um, he, he disagreed basically with Randnick's assertion they need 10 new players. He said they finished second a year ago. There's good players here. We can improve them as coaches. 
I thought he was clearly at times sending a message to the players. He's not met the players yet, but he will know the mood in that dressing room is at rock bottom. That belief has been absolutely shredded this season. And, you know, I, it, it felt at times like he was distancing himself from Ranić as well, which is probably a wise move because as much as Ranić has been a fan's favourite for his cutting analysis in press conferences, it's not gone down well inside the club and it's not gone down well inside the dressing room either. And I think, you know, he inherited a squad where confidence was low after what happened under Solskjaer and the way the season started. And it just got worse because he added, he added nothing to it. And basically the last two months were just brutal and cutting analysis. And I don't, you know, I, I think Ten Hag distancing himself from Ranić a little bit in that press conference was, was probably a smart move and would have gone down well with the squad. Um, so I thought that aspect of his Maguire answer was was interesting. I mean, there was only two players mentioned in terms of questions, Maguire and Ronaldo. And he talked them up on both occasions and more, in more general terms, brought the squad up at points as well. That leads us perfectly into my next question then, Dom, because I was going to ask you about Ranić and uh, his consultancy role after he leaves the club. Um, obviously, he's doing that along with his job as Austria manager. And Ten Hag's response, he said, that is on the club, which I thought was a very interesting response to that question. So what did you make of that and how can you see that relationship developing? It's not clear yet, is it? It's not It's not easy to see that there will be too close a connection between the two. I think a lot of United fans hope there will be because they see the combination of Randnick's straight talking and experience in the sort of director roles um, with that combined with Ten Hag, you know, being quite a technical coach. I think that has the potential to, to work well. But at the moment, I don't think it's understood they haven't actually spoken yet. They haven't they haven't crossed paths. They're due to speak on a Zoom call at some stage, I think. Rangnick's gone off to to do his bit with Austria. So yeah, it's not it's not an easy uh relation it's not an easy relationship to predict. And it's not an easy role to predict that Rangnick will have because there's been no assurances from the club about what it will entail. I think they need to clarify that in the in the coming weeks, what exactly uh Rangnick will be doing. And if anyone else is coming in, because they look a bit light on the on the director side and the recruitment side with the, the two scouting departures that, that we've seen, Matt Judge's departure uh, from the club. So whether Rangnick will get an increased role because of all that, we don't we don't yet know. Or whether his consultancy might sort of be a bit weightier because of those departures, we don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky at the moment. Personally, I would like to see Rangnick still listen to because although everything Ty said is absolutely true, that he was a bit of a nightmare for the club with what, with how honest he was. And obviously, I don't think the squad warmed to, to his methods that well. I think he still has got a football brain that United should harness and utilise. And surely, Ty, he's got loads of insight into that dressing room from the season that if I was Ten Hag, I'd want to have. I know he wants to be his own man, but surely those conversations are going to be valuable. Yeah, I mean, to a degree, he will have insight into that dressing room and how it's panned out. But, you know, the reality is the players didn't like him and he didn't offer anything, particularly on the training pitches. The coaches he got in were nowhere near equipped to to coach at Manchester United. Um, so he, he can offer insight into the dressing room and the characters. But it's also got to be remembered that the players didn't take to him and didn't particularly like him. And he clearly didn't take to the players because he was critical in, in press conferences and critical, you know, he was critical throughout, really. So his, it, you know, I'll come back to, Don mentioned this before, and it's a good point. Um, and I think I mentioned it on one of last week's podcasts as well, that 
this is a team that haven't had elite level coaching for three years, three and a half years now. Solskjaer and his coaches didn't really offer that. Randick and his coaches certainly didn't offer that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see players improve for having elite level coaching under Ten Hag, at which point the view on those players might be different to, to what Ranjit can offer. I think there's, you know, there's mileage in keeping lines of communication open with him. I think there's also the case, though, that if, if, if you know, I was told this morning that Ranjit has already gone to Austria, that they are going to speak at some point, probably remotely now, because Ten Hag's going on holiday at the end of this week. But if Ten Hag really wanted to have a detailed face-to-face meeting with him, it could have happened by now. Um, you know, I know Ranjik was focused on the first team last week and there wanted to be no kind of crossover. But on, on Saturday night at the team hotel, it could have happened. You know, the, the players are all in their rooms, sleeping, getting ready. Ranjik could easily have met Ten Hag privately then. He could have travelled back with him on Sunday after the game. There were moments where their paths could have crossed if they really wanted. You get the impression that, you know, there was clearly no or not the, maybe not the desire from Ten Hag to do that. I'm sure at some point he'll speak to him because it makes sense to, to speak to the previous manager. You know, Ten, um, Randy spoke to Solskjaer, I think, for an hour and a half before the job. And there's always insight worth having. But I think it will be taken with a pinch of salt because I'm sure, Randy, I'm sure Ten Hag will be aware that Ranjik wasn't exactly popular in that dressing room. And I'm sure his, you know, I think his consultancy role is, is going to focus more on kind of recruitment and that sort of thing anyway. I would imagine that the lines of communication will probably be more from Murta to, to Ranjik than Ten Hag to Ranjik eventually. I was going to say that, actually, Tyler. I was going to say that I think we're underestimating the role of Murta. You know, he, he's quite prominent now at the club, isn't he? His quotes are on a lot of the, the statements and press releases that they put out. He was there with Ranjik, posing for pictures. I think United like him and rate, it, and rate what he does. Yeah. You know, there's a few people who've gone behind the scenes and I think that's more power to Murta's elbow sort of thing. And I think that, you know, we've said this before on the podcast that Randnick's skills or recent experience have not been in coaching. So really, the coaching bits and bobs, opinion on the squad that, that he could pass on to, to Ten Hag and not the important bits. It's the advising United on recruiting better, which has been a huge fault of the club for 10 years now. And yeah. that... I think that's where Randy can have a real impact. He doesn't really, maybe he doesn't even need to to talk to to Ten Hag yet, or you know he needs to talk to Murta maybe, which he probably has already done. He needs to talk to him about recruitment, um, and then Murta and Ten Hag will probably take it forward on a full time basis. I think there's also, um, you know, I'm I'm still not sure Randy has fully clocked quite how big Manchester United is and what their you know what their ambitions are. I mean, when he's talked about recruitment in press conferences, he's basically talked about his the Red Bull model um, of, you know, signing players for the future and signing young players, which has obviously got to be a part of every club's ethos. But at the same time, this is Manchester United. And occasionally you're going to have to sign a world-class footballer and spend £100 million on a world-class footballer because Manchester United aren't going to beat Liverpool and Manchester City if they're signing players for the future constantly. You know, he mentioned in Friday's press conference, talking about the Europa League, how great it was in how Eintracht Frankfurt should inspire United to be in it, basically. I mean, winning the Europa League means a hell of a lot more to Eintracht Frankfurt than United. And I think United you know, have never punched above their weight in recruitment terms. I think that's maybe what he's getting at. United have, have gone for marquee big names in the, in the past, especially in the recent past, and it hasn't worked out. I do agree that they, they probably do need at least one marquee name this mm-hmm. summer just to put the gloss on things, but they've never, you know, in recent memory, they haven't, 
they haven't secured an under the radar signing that's turned out to be good. I, I can't I can't think of one. In the yeah. cases in ca- cases that signings have proven to be good, they've been 40, 50 million pound signings. Um, and even then the jury's out on certain people, Bruno Fernandes, for example. So yeah, yeah it's it's not so, United have never done that well, whereas Liverpool have got a team with players signed from you know, the likes of Hull City and Andy Robertson and people like that. So that's that's where United have still got to improve, even though it's maybe not a particularly exciting thing for, for some fans to see. I can say the best thing he said about recruitment is that this is basically a squad built to the whims of four different managers or who all wanted to play different ways. And that's why they look that and the lack of elite coaching is why they look a mess on the pitch. If you're short and Ives your man and he's going to be here for five, six, seven years, then you sign players to fit Ten Hag's philosophy. And I don't think, like you were saying, the, under the radar, there hasn't been an under-the-radar signing, a 30 million signing that's really done brilliantly for a long, for a long, long time, really. Um, and I think part of that is because that players aren't being suited, aren't being recruited with a clear philosophy in mind, like they are at City and Liverpool. And you know, that's a point Ranjik's made a lot. And I think that's certainly the most sensible sort of thing he said. And that's what United need to improve at that. If you know exactly how tonight's going to play and what he's going to do, there might be 20, 25 million players out there that can add value to this squad and, and improve the squad. I was just going to say, you're right, Ty, because last week, I think it was his press conference, he was talking about selling on players and then he kind of backtracked and realised mm-hmm. he was talking about Manchester United, didn't he? Kind of was yeah. aware. Um, last question then, Dom. I wanted to talk about Ranjik's, sorry, Ten Hag's personality because we've kind of given a good overview there in 30 minutes of who he is and kind of what he's about. And, on that training field at Carrington, I wanted to ask you how the players will respond to him because they've not responded well to Ranjik, obviously. Um, the like Charles Garn is in his method. So how do you think they'll take to him? Because his personality at that press conference yesterday when he was straight talking, that's not the same manager that I saw on social media dancing and with his Ajax players, do you know what I mean, until after they won the title? Yeah, well, there was a definite bond between Ten Hag and his Ajax players. Obviously, the time that he was there and the success they enjoyed they they clearly warmed to him and, and they clearly adored him. This is not going to be you know the case with this United squad straight away. I think that it'd be silly to suggest that. I think it may be a difficult and uneasy transition for some, but that's maybe helped by the fact that so many will be leaving. So Ten Hag can can almost you know wipe the slate clean with a, with a lot of people. There are certain players who will be eager to impress and who you do feel could have a future under the new manager. You know, I'd, I'd put the likes of Sancho, um, Alanga, Fernandez into that category, um, Fred. And then there's certain players who, who, you know, you probably, you probably will, you will doubt whether they can adapt to his methods and, and whether they have a long-term future at the club, they probably won't leave this summer because so many others are leaving. United can't have a squad of eight next season. Um, you know, they've got to have at least 11 to fill the pitch. And, but then there's a load of youngsters as well who, who Ten Hag will probably see that as a good opportunity to, to mould them in his image and to bring them through. Hannibal, James Garner, Garnacho, you feel, you know, there's a good chance that he, he, he wants to work with them and they'll want to work with him. So I think it's quite exciting, really. The United squad should be excited about working with him. They haven't, as as we've said multiple times on this podcast, they haven't worked with elite coaches for some time. Um, they didn't adapt well to Rangnick. And I think that's on the players a lot more than it's on Rangnick. I think that that's a real criticism of the squad in how they didn't adapt to Rangnick and basically refused to adapt to, to him uh, because they knew it was interim and because they, it, 
the season had gone by that point, maybe. That's not a good indictment on them. And all eyes will be on the start of next season or even in pre-season to see who's adapting and who isn't adapting to Ten Hag. And, you know, from, from United fans' perspective, the knives will be out for some players if they don't adapt. Because, you know, how many times do you want to change manager before you, you look at the squad and say, well, come on, you, you've got to... You've got to turn it on. If you really got the ability that we think you have, you've got to show it. I think the knives are already out on that squad. Well, they've been out lost. for some time, yeah. <laughs> Even uh, more so. Yeah, they've got a lot of proof next season. Um, thanks as usual, guys. Thank you, Tyrone, for the day. Thanks, Stephen. And thank you, Dom. Thank you very much. And thanks for listeners. Take care.